for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Perspective with Jesse Zerowell on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Welcome to Perspective. I'm Jesse Zerowell, your host for the hour. Back with me today, I'm very happy to say, is Debbie Evans. Debbie is a retired NHS nurse, a former advisor to the UK's Department of Health, and currently nursing correspondent for UK Column News, where she publishes a weekly blog, which, as always, I highly recommend checking out and reading. Debbie, welcome back. How are you? Jesse, always lovely to be back talking to you. And again, you know, I always say coming on to TNT, it's cathartic, you know, because we're talking to an audience that gets what we're saying. We're talking to each other. We know what's going on. And it's just nice to be able to have a, a friendly evening chat because it's dark and cold here in the UK right now. And well, we, were just ta- we were just talking about that in the in the proverbial green room if you will, pre-chat, pre-show green room. And you were telling me about how most people in your area and perhaps throughout the country have cottages where they light wood-burning fires and that that is verboten now because of the smoke it gives off and how that purportedly affects the the net zero enterprise. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. What's what's happened is that, um, and, and you're right, down here we've got loads of people with cottages, many with log burners, and many that have open fires. Um, and what they're doing, the government are doing, is they're saying to people that have got old log burners, so they've had them there for a number of years, they can only use approved fuels so gone is the day of collecting your own fuel when you're out and and burning what you find. Now you can only use approved fuels. And those with new log burners that are thinking of having an, a new log burner installed, those have now got to be certain standards and they can't emit uh, more. I mean, I don't know how they measure it. It's absolutely ridiculous. But I'm presuming that we're going to end up with the chimney police Um, And as you're right, you know, this whole net zero, I mean, in the UK, for example, there's a drive to import thousands of Chinese EVs, um, electric vehicles. So we're very happy for China to to, to pollute the planet as much as they like. But as long as we've got, as long as the UK, as long as the, the copybook is not blotted and we're not seen to be contributing to it, then we don't mind who else is? And as we know, the dangers of electric vehicles anyway, especially those with um, electric vehicles with Chinese batteries, more so than Japanese batteries. So, you know, it's it's all very well talking net zero. But when we've got other huge nations that are churning out stuff, it, it, it just makes no sense at all. So there's just an excuse where we've got the domestic police, you know, it's we're all under scrutiny. 24 7 no matter what we do what we say who we say it to and in fact only yesterday um i recorded an interview with brian garish on the prevent strategy that no one seems to know about but actually what it means is that for any one of us here in the uk if we say something that is 
considered against the gov government narrative or if we do something or if we act in a, in a way that someone feels is out of character with us or suspicious they can then report us to prevent and any one of us could have a knock on the door i mean you could have a conversation with your neighbor over the fence and perhaps say something that they didn't agree with and maybe they had been told that if they had seen behavior like this or noted behavior like this it was extreme radicalization or extremism or maybe it was a, a, a national security threat so now we're in a position here in the uk where this prevent strategy has inveigled its way into every single part of our society and i'm talking the nhs i'm talking education big time that's where it started um, the local authorities, shops, charities, private organisations, everyone's got to be prevent trained. But as soon as you're referred to prevent, you know, you could literally be sitting cuddled up in the evening, just having dinner with your family. And all of a sudden there's a knock at the door and it's somebody from prevent asking you about a conversation that you may or may not have had or a text that you've sent or an email or something you've posted on social media so, you know, it's 1984, big time. And of course, the penalty will always end up with us. So we will get fined or with energy, for example, we're even being threatened now that if our homes in the near future don't comply um, to uh, the regulations and net zero, then we could face imprisonment. You know, they're criminalizing energy now. So yeah we're living in a, a goldfish bowl in the uk i'm sure everyone else is feeling the same but you know it's just getting madder and madder you know you wake up in the morning and you hear the most ridiculous news the news that you just i mean lord cameron now we have um and i know you you wanted my views on david cameron but we've got lord cameron it's just been announced actually in the last couple of hours that he's officially called Lord Cameron of Chipping Norton. And for anybody that doesn't know anything about Chipping Norton, it's a little market town in Oxfordshire, in the southeast of England. So Oxford, the Golden Triangle, Oxford University, Cambridge University, London. So, um, and he was known as part of the Chipping Norton set. He's been part of sets for ages, but yeah, David Cameron is now our foreign secretary. And uh, to wake up to that news was not good news. So a few things I'd like to unpack there. The prevent strategy or agenda or however you'd like to term it, however it's officially termed, parks back to David Cameron. And if I'm not mistaken, and also, it's worth pointing out that right now in the occupied West Bank of Palestine and also within Israel itself, Palestinians are being rounded up and jailed for their social media posts if they express the slightest support for the Palestinians in Gaza. And I've seen reports on Al Jazeera of women, mothers getting a knock on their door from Israeli police 
and saying, we're taking you to jail because we saw this Facebook post expressing solidarity for Palestinians in Gaza. And some of a lot of these people are expressing solidarity because they have family there or friends there. And again, it's not just in the occupied West Bank where this is happening, which is occupied, meaning under military occupation, but also within Israel itself, where there is a large Palestinian population, Palestinians with Israeli citizenship, and they too are the target of this. So it's very interesting that this is happening in parallel with the the prevent strategy or agenda. So I wanted to make that connection, but also getting back to David Cameron, who's now foreign secretary. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and this is this prevent strategy. Is that a brainchild of his or what did he have to do no, with that? It was um, it was originally born by uh, the one and only Tony Blair back in 2003. And it was originally piloted out for people on probation. So it was people that had had convictions and people that needed just to be kept an eye on for any kind of radicalization, is Islam, Islamist uh, fundamentalists, um, any kind of religious fundamentalists as well. So that was the pilot in 2003. And it, it was only a minor part, actually, of something else called the Channel, Channel 21 project. But it was only a, a tiny part of it. Um, and then in 2015, David Cameron, let's remind ourselves, David Cameron became Prime Minister of the United Kingdom in 2010 and reigned till 2016. So the year before he resigned, and we'll come to that in a minute because that was pretty controversial in itself, but the year before he resigned, he kicked he kicked um, prevent up a gear by making it law, and that's when it really started the rollout. And it's interesting because Mike Robinson at UK Column has always said, "Be wary of anything with the name One in front of it." And you, we've spoken many times, Jesse, about One Health um, and um, everything that goes with it, and of course One App that will probably come in to cover all of our needs on our smartphones. And it's interesting because as he's launching his four pillars of what he's going to do in society, including counter-terrorism, the signage behind him is one united kingdom, one nation. So he kicked it up a gear in 2015. And since then, it has seeped very gently without anybody really realizing into pretty much every part of society. So now in the UK, if you have a burglary, you probably won't even get a call back from the police if you report it. You certainly won't get people coming in and doing fingerprints or taking a statement. In fact, people that have suffered burglaries or other what they call petty crime now will have to, they, they get given a, a, a pack from the police where they make their own statement and they have to, it's like a DIY kit. 
However, if you say something or act in a certain way, and, and I'm talking the prevent strategy not only is in the NHS, but it's training people that aren't qualified. They have to use their professional judgment because they're not just looking at what we perceive as terrorism. They're looking at extreme right wing terrorism and everything conspiracy theorists and everything that goes with it. And the thing about prevent is that it's now seeped so far into our system that people have got no clue that it even exists. And once they're highlighted on the radar, then, I mean, even if the case gets dropped, then it's still on a record somewhere. And it's weird, you know, because since um, I live down in Cornwall and I often use the train and we've had in the UK this, this awful message on the train every five minutes and it says, see it, say it, sort it. And that means if you see anything, and it doesn't mean an unattended package on a train, it means if you see somebody acting suspiciously, if you see somebody even with a tattoo of uh, an ideology or something that represents an ideology, that should be reported. If someone's getting a lot of parcels delivered to their door and you're suspicious of the parcels, you can report them. So it's, if, or if you're stressed or depressed, and let's face it, how many of us have been stressed and depressed in the last three years? But if somebody has got uh, the mind to, then now we've got to a point where counter-terrorism and extremism and radicalization, that seems to, the fine line between that and conversation and chatter has been crossed because now mm -hmm. it would seem you can't even have a conversation. It, it begs the question, can you have a conversation with your doctor? You know, if you go to your doctor, you're meant to be able to speak to your doctor in confidence. However, if your doctor asks you whether you've had the vaccination, for example, or maybe your views on something that you don't necessarily want to agree to, is that going to incriminate you? Is, is that doctor then going to make a, a referral to prevent so we're being watched and david cameron launched this very quietly upgraded it in 215 and david cameron's name is pretty much coming into play in everything that i'm seeing because you must remember too that during david cameron's reign he intrinsically linked the nhs and israel the the israeli government and the uk government were doing a lot of business together and the Conservative Friends of Israel sent over 150, I think, MPs on little jollies to Israel. Um, in fact, um, Priti Patel, when she was minister, she was on holiday in Israel, supposedly, but she happened to attend 10 meetings while she was on holiday. She ended up getting sacked. And when you see the involvement of the Israel government, and I'm very keen to separate this is a government. This is not a war of people. This is not a war of the Israeli people, of the Palestinian people, of the Gazan people, of the British people. This is a war of the governments. So what we're seeing is a huge link between Israel and the NHS. So NHS Digital, NHS X, massive. But I mean, I've made a few notes on on. David Cameron, because I would really appreciate the opportunity just to remind your audience 
who David Cameron is, if you'd allow me to. Sure. One thing I want to to point out before you do that is in the speech he delivered, ramping back up the the Prevent program, which you covered this past Wednesday on UK Column. Not only was there the one, I forget exactly what it was. It was one something and one something one else. Nation. One nation, one United Kingdom. Right. So not only was there that text behind him the whole time, but he kept talking about our values, our values, our values over and over as if there's this universal, there are these universal values in not just the UK, but the broader Western world, Western civilization that are that reign supreme and are should be the paradigm for the rest of the world in terms of so-called democracy and and fighting the forces of evil as they like to put it in that in that time he was talking about daesh or isis or isil and this language has come back again. It always comes back around and it's come back again with the war on Palestine and our values. So Israel's so-called values and how they are linked deeply to American values and British values and European values and we can certainly have a discussion as to what constitutes those so-called values and i'm not suggesting we do so now but it's another it's another form of imposing this this unilateral a unilateral ideology onto not just palestinians or other people in west asia or in Eurasia, but a unilateral ideology on the people of the UK or the people of the US, you must comport yourself in line with our values or in the case of the UK, prevent is very likely to show up at your door. So it's very, it's very vague at the same and at the same time very all encompassing so anything could fall within the the parameters of this this very pernicious agenda this very pernicious program and it's that that one language that unilateral language that is very dangerous and undergirds a lot of what we're talking about here yeah and you're right it's in everything you know it has found it's systemic it's found its way into everything and um for for people that are listening abroad i just want you to know that when the news broke about david cameron being appointed as foreign secretary here everyone was shocked it was probably one of the best kept secrets in rishi sunak's government I think that there has been because it was quite visible even from the journalists that were reporting on it 
that they were they were blindsided pretty much by the news. But David Cameron does not represent certainly my values um, and many other people in the UK. So again, we've got this division. You know, we first of all had he started the division, the big the big start of the division was David Cameron when he um, told Scotland that they could have a referendum on independence. And um, I mean, that's a, a story in itself. And then, of course, he divided us again with Brexit. So Brexit was then the, the kind of second stage in dividing that the United Kingdom population, the division was huge with Brexit. And then straight off the back of that, we had the division with COVID. And then as soon as COVID started to cool down, we had more division with climate change. And that, again, divided everybody. And then now we have Israel and Palestine, again, that is even more divisive. So now we've got, and, and we've got the truth. Uh, I don't like to call it the truth movement, really, or the freedom movement. But even they, we are divided. There's a division as well. And David Cameron, you know, because he was prime minister for so long, he's the daddy of the Conservative Party and he's laid low for the last seven or eight years. He's been in a, he, he was um, bought the most expensive shepherd's hut ever known to be built. And he, he went and hid in it for a very long time while he was writing his memoirs. But this has been planned for a very long time. And let's not forget who is actually prime minister of the United Kingdom at the moment. This is Rishi Sunak. And Rishi Sunak was elected as an MP for the very first time in 2015. So he was, he was, he came into parliament as a very junior MP, first time, no experience, uh, the year before David Cameron resigned. And Rishi Sunak is the youngest prime minister in the UK for over 200 years. So when a prime minister of, um, he hasn't got a huge amount of experience, he hasn't been elected, he was appointed, um, and he finds himself in a situation where his country that he's meant to be ruling, and we don't know how many passports Rishi Sunak is in possession of, so we're not quite sure where his loyalties lie because nobody declares it, but he now finds himself on the precipice of World War Three. And he doesn't know, he's he's wet behind the ears, quite frankly. And I think this whole David Cameron thing has been planned for quite a while. Um, in fact, I think it's been planned for quite a few months and been kept secret. And the reason that I say that is because at the same time that David Cameron was appointed, of course, we had a government reshuffle. So the whole cabinet was reshuffled. And um, Suella Braverman, who had been in our headlines for saying many controversial things about immigration and Rwanda, she was sacked and in her place was put Victoria Atkins. Now, not many people listening will probably heard of Victoria Atkins, but she's now our new health secretary. And her husband used to be CEO of British Sugar, which used to run the biggest cannabis farm in the UK, legal cannabis farm used for pharmaceuticals. So when she was a Home Office Minister, she had to recuse herself of all discussions surrounding cannabis, although she's against it. And Victoria Atkins has come in to government 
was also wet behind the ears. So we've got people now governing us. We don't know who they are. They don't seem to have a clue about the role that they're in. Victoria Atkins is a barrister, by the way. So no clue in fraud, she specialises. Um, so I've no clue what she knows about health, apart from the fact that she's diabetic and her husband seems to be managing director and CEO of every sugar company in the UK, which is ironic, I think, um, at the very least. But this whole cabinet reshuffle has come at a time when obviously the government are feeling as though it's perilous. But David Cameron, I've done a few, I've written a few notes about David Cameron that people might find a little bit interesting. Apparently he's a descendant of King William IV. So he's got royal blood in him. He went to Eton and he was part of the Bullingdon Club with Boris Johnson. Now the Bullingdon Club, all boys, old boy network, all boys club, where you drink as much as you possibly can and you vandalise property. And I mean, that is how the Bullingdon Club has been reported. Um, and it's completely notorious. It's a high society. It's, 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 it's rolled out as a high society dining club. But he's been a member of the Smith Square set, you know, all of these sets. He's been um, a journalist. Um, and he's also, he readily says, you know, he's of Jewish ancestry and he's had a lot of dealings with Benjamin Netanyahu when he was prime minister. So they know each other and they're, they're friends. But also this, you know, this whole thing with, um, he got involved with something called, um, I forget the name of it now, Greensill, I think it was, Greensill. And it was a big controversy involving, had he got involved in, uh, lobbying and this was all a great big um it wasn't a conspiracy theory there was a lot in it and people were doubting what he'd actually done with money he was said to have earned 10 million pounds from lobbying from a company when he shouldn't have been as 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 a minister he also was responsible for legalizing same-sex marriage in the UK he privatized royal mail and interestingly, too, he oversaw the 212 London Olympics. And I'm sure many of your listeners, or if they haven't, go and have a look at some of the YouTubes on the London Olympics, because it was a very dark event. And there was a lot of symbology in that, that looking back on it, and you start to think this is almost satanic. He, um, he also, as I say, the most divisive episode, I think, in the UK history, apart from, well, no, probably the most divisive issue was Brexit. And he said, right, you know, do we stay in Europe? Do we go? He called the referendum and he lost because he wanted to remain in, in the EU. And he didn't think for one minute that the British public would vote to leave. So he got caught on the hop, really, and had to resign pretty quickly. I think it was the next day that he resigned. But also he's he's made a number of faux pas and he got quite cosy with the Queen. And he was overheard saying to the Queen that Nigeria and Afghanistan were the most corrupt countries in the world. This was said at the May 2016 anti-corruption summit. He also, um, he's got a poor memory because he went to the pub one day with his wife, Samantha, and they left their daughter behind in the pub. They just went, they just left and didn't realise 
that they'd left her in the pub. And this is a pub called The Plough in Prince's Risborough, which is in Oxfordshire, which is very close to where he is now. And this was the same pub that he took Xi Jinping to for a drink when he organised Xi Jinping's state visit. Um, he was also the, um, the architect, if you like, of the austerity crisis that we went through in 2010. So David Cameron has got a lot to say. In fact, yeah, there was one more thing he did. It was so embarrassing. I'll never forget it. I watched, uh, I watched it on the news at the time. He was um, overheard saying after the Scottish referendum, um, he'd, had a, he'd made a call to the Queen to tell the Queen that Scotland had voted to remain part of the United Kingdom and not be independent. And he let it slip that she purred her happiness. She purred her happiness down the phone. And this was a huge faux pas and it made the front pages. So, you know, he's blue blood. He's Lord Cameron chipping Norton. He's in a position now where I think Rishi Sunak's a bit worried and he's got the daddy of the Conservative Party in. This man has been thrown into the House of Lords quite quickly. Oh, yes, that was why I was going to mention Victoria Atkins, because her husband, who was CEO of the Cannabis Farm, he's just resigned on the 4th of November, like two weeks before or a week and a half before the announcement that his wife is going to step into the Home Secretary position. So that's why I think the whole Cameron and the whole reshuffle has been planned for quite a while. And to see David Cameron on the public stage again is nothing short of horrific and James Cleverly who was the foreign secretary who's not so clever he he doesn't have um, huge qualifications but James Cleverly uh, when he was asked on the news uh, do you uh, are you sad that you're now not foreign secretary because you know it's the third highest um, office in the UK we have the uh, Prime Minister, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Foreign Secretary, Home Secretary. So when he was asked uh, how he felt about not being Foreign Secretary, he, he said he was going to miss the trips abroad. He liked to get out of the office. Um, you know, it, it was just the most ridiculous, almost offensive comment he possibly could have said. And I saw on the news yesterday, David Cameron was in Ukraine um, and he was visiting Zelensky and he went to an opera house and the orchestra was playing and I actually felt rather sick, Jesse. And we must remember that these actors, these state level actors are for the most part, if not entirely puppets, right? Which is not to say that what they do does not have an effect on what happens and that we shouldn't pay attention to them. But where are their directives coming from and to what end or ends is a question we should constantly ask ourselves and strive to look beyond the headlines that are put in front of us with regard to the the palace intrigue, if you will, because that's where I argue the proverbial they want our focus to be on this exclusively on this reshuffling and 
the what's driving it and the the idiosyncrasies of it and the little things that are allowed to slip out or purposely slipped out and take us away from looking at the bigger picture, the systems that are at work. So we must remember that where these people sit in the level of, I think of Ian Davis's global public-private partnership diagram, where these people sit on that and that they are policy enforcers rather than policy creators. And so where is the policy coming from? And we can look at them and their role and the effects their role has while at the same time looking at the bigger system, the structure above them that is creating policy and disseminating it downward for them to enforce. So all of that to say, well, it is important to pay attention to what these people like David Cameron, Rishi Sunak, James Cleverly, et cetera, are doing. We can't forget that they're almost certainly not the ones calling the shots, if you will. We need to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to pick up on something you mentioned earlier about divisiveness in the so-called health freedom movement, because I've been seeing that as well. And I think that ties into a lot of what is happening, has been happening in Palestine since October 7th. And a lot of I see a lot of people who were held up as champions of sorts in the the COVID skeptic movement, if you will, and that apparently it seems to me their principles then do not apply to people who are being genocided as we speak. And there are schisms starting to to emerge quite evident and i think that that is a a dynamic that that is worth looking at and of course this involves praise now by some people who are not standing with israel as it were of institutions like the who and the un and these people were previously very vocal against, and rightly so, the WHO and the UN. A lot of parts, a lot of moving parts here, but I think it's a dynamic that's that's worth taking a look at in terms of how things are playing out with regard to disrupting what could be potentially a more organized resistance to so many of the agendas all of the agendas we've been talking about and so many more that are out there so let's if you'll indulge me get into that right after this pause here on tnt radio with his expert analysis and opinion this is tnt radio's timothy shea who says legislation isn't a contact sport 
We nearly came to blows today in the United States Senate as Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma squared off against Sean Butterbean O'Brien, the general president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. O'Brien had been very critical of Mullen on X, tweeting, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. Just a clown and a fraud, always has been, always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me, any place, any time, cowboy. Mark Wayne Mullen read that tweet and said, here is a place, now is a time you wanna go? And Butterbean said, let's go. Cooler heads like Bernie Sanders intervened. They weren't going to come to blows anyway. This wasn't quite the caning of abolitionist Republican Senator Charles Sumner by pro-slavery Democrat Senator Preston Brooks of South Carolina in 1856, but it was good to see a Republican show a little spine, show a little enthusiasm for his position. Now, if we can only get Mark Wayne as focused on election integrity efforts and on budgetary issues as he is on posts on X. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. While serving in Afghanistan, I was hit by sniper fire. The fighting was so intense, the medevac chopper was barely able to land. In the hospital, I was given a 5% chance to live. It's a good thing math wasn't my best subject. Today, I visit classrooms and share my story. I talk to kids about dealing with life's struggles. I tell them, with a little help and a lot of work, that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. I know that some struggles are big and some are small, but they're all struggles and you have to learn to get through them. With support from DAV, more veterans like me can live their best life. And as a new father, I have one more reason to keep on keeping on. My victory is being there for the next generation. Adam Alexander, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Perspective with Jesse Zerowell on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Welcome back to Perspective here on TNT Radio, where we are live 24-7. I'm Jesse Zerwell, and I'm joined by Debbie Evans of UK Column News, where you can find her reporting every week as nursing correspondent, as well as her weekly blog, which, again, I highly recommend reading. So much information in there that's we never even get close to covering here on the program. So do check that out. Debbie, before the break, I put out there this phenomenon, if you will. I don't think phenomenon is the right word, but for lack of a better term, this dynamic that I see taking shape with in parallel with what's happening in Palestine and what I see happening is that people who are standing in solidarity with Palestine, not all of them, but some of them, look at statements coming from Tedros from the WHO, statements like the ones he made last Friday during a UN Security Council briefing calling for a ceasefire. and lauding him and the WHO for doing so. And there's been similar lauding or praise for 
the UN, which has proved, in my opinion, to be nothing but a dismal failure in producing anything of, of substance with regard to Palestine. And on the other side of that, if you will, and I don't want to make this a simple binary, but for the sake of this conversation, on the other side of that, there are a lot of people who during the worst days of COVID and up until the COVID operation, I should say, and up until the 7th of October were, they really weren't saying anything about Palestine, about Israel and the principles now that they were applying during the COVID operation don't seem to apply to Palestinians who are who are being genocided. And it's almost like there's been this, this pushing of the, this corralling of what you could in simplified terms call the right wing of the COVID resistance, although I don't necessarily subscribe to that terminology. A corralling of them or some of this on their own part, they've moved into this camp of die hard, no questions asked, support for Israel, which is support for Zionism. They might think that they're supporting Judaism, but Zionism and Judaism are not the same thing. The former, an ideology, the latter, a religion, and the former has co-opted the latter to, in large part, produce what we are witnessing right now. Those are the very, very basic uh, a sketch of the, the dynamics I, I see at play and coming to the fore. And I think it's very dangerous from, from both sides what we're witnessing, this, this splintering, especially the forgetting of, of what the WHO is, what the UN is, and what other agendas these, these entities are still pursuing despite what's happening in Palestine. Yeah, I mean, I'm, it saddens me hugely to see that... Um, Maybe, you know, we're talking about the COVID resistance, if you like. Um, everybody that I've met that was talking against the government narrative and coming up with pretty firm evidence against it, they were all fighting and all still are fighting for humanity, for the future of humanity, saying that these injections would change human beings we're looking at transhumanism. We have to preserve humanity. So humanity is what I stand for. I don't stand for any particular country. I stand for humanity. And it doesn't matter where the atrocity is going on. It's an atrocity, nevertheless. So what I, what I see, and, 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 and I can't believe, actually, that people who um, many who, who I've met and have been in contact with, I can't believe that so many 
intelligent, awake, aware people can allow themselves to be bought in to this division because that's all it's creating is division. We have to remember where we started. What we started for was to save humanity, right? This isn't saving humanity. This is dividing it even more. And, you know, if to simplify things, and, and this is very sim a simple analogy, but if you imagine the population of the world as a chocolate cake and you think, right, okay, to, that chocolate cake in one piece is a is a big piece of cake right it's gonna it's gonna make you pretty full it's gonna fill you up it might even make you feel a bit sick but it'll do the job you divide that chocolate cake and then divide it again and keep dividing it with all these divisive issues no matter what it is and all you get left with at the end of the day is a crumb and what is a crumb capable of not a lot so the aim of the game their game is to divide us in as many ways as possible. So whatever topic they bring on board, there's got to be a divisive intent to it because this is all part of the behavioral science. This is all part of the psyop. This is all part of the fear, the lies, the misinformation, the deep fakes. You know, this is all part of the same agenda. And before the break, you said a very interesting word, actually, that I did quite a bit of research into because I was interested to see the role of disruption that's going on at the moment. And if you put disrupt into a search bar and put in the news icon, you know, click on the news icon, you'll see disruption in the rail service, disruption in the NHS, disruption in health, disruption in, in everywhere. Everywhere there is disruption. And if you disrupt people, you cause chaos. If you cause chaos, you cause confusion. And then if you cause confusion on top of that, people get very emotive because they don't quite know what's going on. So conversations get lost in translation. Emotions run high and what really troubles me about social media, which is why I used to do Twitter, but when it went to X, I just felt it was too dark and I didn't feel comfortable on it. But people don't realize that when they write something and they publish something, then potentially that is divisive. And that's just buying in to the whole narrative because what you're doing is you're giving them exactly what they want. They want us to be divided. We're weak if we're divided. You know, so to keep to for us to be strong, we need to stay together. And in order for us to stay together, we need to put aside our emotions and concentrate on the facts, concentrate on the evidence, which is why when I was discussing Israel and Palestine on the news, I kept it very much. What are our governments involved in? What have our governments been doing behind our back? What is the PSYOP involved in all of this? And I just wish I could just bring everybody together and just ask everyone just to stop for a minute and ask themselves, am I making this situation worse by airing my views? You may have a view, of course, we've all got views, but by publishing them and by, you know, we say keyboard warriors, but language is very important. 
And, you know, people put things in capital letters so it looks like they're shouting or people may use an emoji, which someone finds offensive or someone may misinterpret the meaning of what you've tried to post. So I ask people just to not not fan the flames because we've already got a fire burning. We don't need to make that fire worse. What we should be doing is all uniting and saying we're not going to allow ourselves to be divided anymore. So in order for that to happen, we keep our views to ourselves. I'm not saying that the protests shouldn't take place. Of course they should. And people have a right to freedom of speech. But when you've got such a strong movement as was created from the COVID pandemic crisis, in order to keep that movement strong, you sometimes have to detach from the emotions publicly. If you want to do something privately in your own private time, then that's absolutely fine. But, you know, to publicly put something on social media, to publicly get into discussions, debates, arguments and hate speech with other people is 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 unwise, I think. And it's certainly unhelpful. But I think it's giving the governments and those that are in control, the cabal, if you like, whatever you want to call them, it's fueling. Uh, exactly their agenda so I would say yeah. to everybody calm down I agree and also putting that information out there and it's up to everybody to decide if they want to how they want to I'm not and I I'm not suggesting that be police and I'm not suggesting you're suggesting that either I I understand where you're coming from and I agree with it also important to remember that platforms like X, Elon Musk, the front man he is, which is not to say he's not an important figure whom we should look at, but again, there are public facing figures, people put in front of us for certain reasons upon whom we're supposed to focus. And I think that Elon Musk is one of those people, but he's been explicit in saying as he did a month and a half, perhaps two months ago, that X is going to use all public tweets to, to build whatever AI infrastructure it's building. So what you're putting out there, not just in terms of content, but the emotion that's embedded in that content is feeding this AI system that's being built in terms of X and in many other spaces as well. And it wants you to keep doing that and keep doing that to learn from you, from your language and to, to learn emotion insofar as machines can quote unquote, learn emotion through decoding your language, your language, the emojis you use, the the inflection it might read into into what you're saying and so we should be mindful of that as well and thoughtful about about what we put out and and i'm speaking for myself strictly in this in this capacity and that's something i i try to practice and i i think too it's important to in terms of systems look at everything that is happening, the totality in as much as we can and consider how is this being watched 
by whom and and what what are they watching and learning from how we react to what's going on how palestinians in gaza and the occupied west bank react how israelis react to this how people in other parts of the world react to this off of social media and how lessons are being learned from that in in a cybernetic sense as a, as i've referred to earlier this this circular learning and refinement that goes on in perpetuity how does that play into into what we're experiencing what we're witnessing right now in terms of systems i think that's very important to to keep in mind and to to look at and analyze as best we can also going back to the marches you mentioned it's been very interesting for me to see in the uk and i don't know if this applies elsewhere but there is a restriction on covering your face during these marches correct me if i'm wrong on that or an attempted restriction on that and people are flouting that they say they don't want their identities revealed and i don't dispute that i think a lot of people feel at risk in their jobs or communities if their identities are revealed that they're participating in pro-palestine marches but at the same time you see a lot of people wearing the very same masks that they were told to wear in the worst days of the covid operation and here in the us where i don't believe there are such such restrictions people are voluntarily putting on the face diapers to ostensibly protect their identities and that might seem small in the context of what's happening in in gaza and perhaps it is but it's still something we need to look at and critique this behavior this self policing behavior that's been embedded in us especially over the last almost 4 years now yeah and what you said there about you know our children it's our children as well what are we teaching our children you know our children are watching this they're learning what what kind of picture are they going to get moving forward how how are those children in gaza and in and israel how how are they going to be in 5 10 years time this is going to be with them for absolutely ever and with regards to the protest stand here brian uh, garish and mike robinson went to the london protest a couple of weeks ago and certainly um it wasn't noticed i i watched some of it on the news i didn't notice a lot of people wearing masks there are no um official mask restrictions in the uk apart from in a few nhs trusts who have brought back social distancing and masks which is ridiculous um but they have nevertheless but there's no general restriction um in the UK at the moment so i'm guessing that anybody that was wearing a mask during the protest would have been somebody that did it voluntarily well 
Debbie, unfortunately, we are up to time. So much more I would like to get into with you, and I hope we can do that very soon in the future. But thank you very much for joining me today. Always a pleasure to have you. Jesse, always lovely to join you. Good night and God bless to everyone. Bye-bye.